Man, let's give the Lord a round of applause, man. Again, just what wonderful worship each week. I just love it. You know, I mean, again, as I was sharing in the last two services, I mean, it's a battle, right? I mean, if, if you're in the Lord, you know the Lord. Like, each week's a battle. Every day's a battle. And, and to be able to come in on a Sunday morning and gather with the body of Christ and sing truth, you know, knowing that when you step out of here, you don't even have to step out of here, but that, that lies are coming. And I love the fact that we can proclaim the word of God as we sing, you know, those songs together. And so thank you for being here. If it's your first time, let me say welcome. Uh, again, I say this a lot. I don't say it enough. Not a coincidence, nothing random. Uh, I've sat out there too many times where I by chance was sitting there. And so thank you for being here. And we pray that the Lord uh, has something great for you. Be praying for our mission team. Our mission team is in Belize. They're doing great. Our students are doing wonderful. They come back this week. We've only lost two. And so that's an awesome thing. So be praying for them as they travel back this week. And then tomorrow, tomorrow is what? Vacation Bible school. This room Tomorrow, 24 hours from now, will be filled. There are a thousand kids signed up for Vacation Bible School. How amazing is that? So again, e- equally to me amazing to that is the fact that we have 300 volunteers. I mean, they don't work, I guess. We have 300 volunteers that are signed up to serve this week. Can we give those guys and our students a round of applause? So here's my challenge to you. Be praying. You might be sitting there going, well, somebody's got to work. I got to go to work tomorrow. That's fine. Go to work. Be praying for Vacation Bible School. Let's just pray for protection and just pray for God just to do a great work this week. And and we've seen it. There's such a ripple effect. A thousand kids. You know, again, a lot of those are our own kids. A lot of those are kids that have been invited. You know, a lot of those are kids from the community. And so we have moms and dads that we pray are exposed to the gospel. That is our prayer. Our number one value here is that we're about the gospel. So regardless of what the event is, whether it's a car show, our vacation Bible school, our mission trip, we want Jesus to be heard and seen. And so our prayer this week through vacation Bible school is that the name of Christ would be lifted high. Take your Bibles with me if you would and turn with me to the book of John. John chapter 15. We're continuing in our series of promises and we're going to do something a little bit unique this morning. We've come to the end of chapter 15. If you've been with us, We're looking at the Upper Room Discourse. It's John 13 to John 17, basically. It's a very unique passage of Scripture in the sense that it all happens within 24 hours. This is the day before the cross. And so it's an amazing, only John records in details what happens in this setting. And so we know in John 13, they get to the Upper Room, verse 1, it says that the time has come. The time has come for him to go back to the Father. But it says at the end of verse 1 that he loved them to the end. And I love that. And what you find in the details of these passages is that because it means that he loved them to the capacity in which he could love. To the end does not speak of a chronological time. To the end speaks of his ability to love. And so take that verse and really allow that to sink in. God loved them inexhaustibly. I don't know if that's even the right way to say that. So what's happening here in John 13 is he's dumping promise after promise, promise. Hey, I'm leaving, but this is what I'm leaving for you. I'm leaving, but this is what you have in me. And as you know, these disciples are sideways. I mean, how could they not be, right? For three and a half years, they've been walking by physically manifested God. And I believe that. Born of a virgin, not in the sin of the righteousness, but Jesus took on this form. He was flesh and bones, but without what? Because if he was a sinner, he needs a savior too. So we know that he was born of the seed of righteousness why the virgin birth is so critical. He wasn't born into the seed of corruption like the rest of us. In Adam, we are born into that sinful nature. But Jesus walked beside them for three and a half years, fully God. Imagine that. 
All you had to do at night is just go tap on his shoulder. Hey, comfort from God, truth from God, hope from God. He's right there. So no wonder these disciples were all messed up when Jesus says, I'm leaving. They're like, well, what are you talking about? We've been with God. Imagine that. We've been physically with God for three and a half years, and now you're leaving us? And so that's what's happening in this setting, that Jesus tells them, I'm leaving you, but I'm not leaving you alone. I'm leaving you, but I'm not leaving you as an orphan. And that word really paints this picture of a helpless baby without a mother or a child. And if you were with us last week, you know there's a huge transition in this. John 14 ends and it says, he says, let us arise and go. And so we know that they're traveling from the upper room now to the Garden of Gethsemane. And I can picture it. We made that same journey a couple of weeks ago in Israel. From the upper room down to the Garden of Gethsemane, where it all will go down. And I pray what you see through the whole story, not just this one, but through all of it, is his control over the entire situation. The authority of Jesus over the entire situation. I, I pray you see that. Because it's one of the things that's encouraged my heart. Because there's chaos everywhere. Chaos in the lives of the disciples, but Jesus is all under his control. Nothing happened outside of his sovereign control, even the betrayal. The betrayal was not to happen in the upper room. The betrayal was to happen in the Garden of Gethsemane. And so if you remember John 15, he tells them, and I can almost picture him pointing to vineyards as he's like, hey guys, all right, this is, you're the ones to take this message. You gotta abide in me. And he gives the illustration of the branch and the, and, the, and, the, and the vine. But then there's a huge transition in verse 18. Last week we looked at it, John 15, 18. He's been talking about love, 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 love. And now all of a sudden the word hate is used seven times in eight verses. And so he wants to prepare these disciples that, hey, I'm giving you all this stuff, but you're going into a world that hates you because it hates me. You're battling spiritual things because of me. But he gives them a promise and he's, he's given it already. But join with me, stand with me in reference for you guys. We're John 15, let's go to 26 and 27. The unique thing, that's what I started with this. What we're gonna do this morning a little bit uniquely is usually we go verse by verse, you know, phrase by phrase. We're gonna expand this a little bit. Because in John 14, we've talked a little bit about the Holy Spirit. There's Holy Spirit in John 15. There's especially Holy Spirit in John 16. So we're gonna kind of expand our study here to not just these two verses, to really talk about the work of the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you something. If you showed up here today with questions about the Holy Spirit, I'm gonna answer every single one of them. You're not gonna leave confused at all. I hope you know that I'm being sarcastic right now. Because what a great mystery third part of the Trinity, fully God, not less than Jesus, not less than the Father. And this mystery of the Spirit of God living within us. And listen, if you're here today and you know Jesus says your Savior, right? You know it, but it's hard to explain it. Like you know it and you feel it, but sometimes it's hard to put words to it. And so what we're gonna do this morning is kind of expand this and go, okay, what is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives? What does Jesus tell not only these disciples, but us? Because we're in a battle every day. And if we bring ourselves to the table, we are no match. It's got to be the power of God, the spirit that lives in us. Can I get an amen? All right, let's look at this. I'm sorry, I'm going to preach y'all while I just stand. JD, just stand all the time. That's all right, right? My brother-in-law, always on the front row. Such an encouragement. All right, here we go. John 15. But when the helper comes, notice that word, helper, comforter, counselor, uh, advocate. You're going to see that word used in paraclete is the word. It's where we get the word lawyer, a representative. Someone who stands in the place and defends someone. But when the helper comes, he says, whom else I send from the Father, the spirit of truth, will only lead us into truth. Who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. 
and you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Join with me as we go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, we are so reliant right now on your Holy Spirit. Lord, as I stand here on this stage, Lord, I am pleading and begging for your Holy Spirit to speak and to move and to empower. Lord, we thank you that you've not left us as orphans, that you promised those disciples that, yeah, my physical presence is leaving, but I'm sending my spirit to indwell you. Thank you for that. Thank you that we're never alone, that even physically, if we're walking around by ourselves, if we know you as our savior, we are never alone. Thank you for that. And so Lord, this morning, may we see you through the lens of your word. May we see our situation and our struggles and our story through the lens of truth. So we pray for the spirit of truth. I pray you bind the enemy from this place. And Lord, we pray for the name of Jesus to be lifted high because we know, as your word says, the Holy Spirit will testify of him only. And so Lord, may the name of Christ be lifted. We ask, we pray in his name and all of God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated. Five times that word is used. The title of the message is the advocate. Your translation may say comforter. And it's where we get that word light. It's a representative that stands in the place of another, but it goes even a little bit deeper than that. Not only do they stand in the place, they comfort, they defend. And so this picture that Jesus is painting, it almost feels like a courtroom when you look at these two verses of scripture. When the advocate comes, when the lawyer comes, right? Whom I shall send, he tells us where he's coming from, from the father. He gives us his title, the spirit of truth, again, comes from the father. And then what does he say? He will testify of what? Me, that's so critical. The Holy Spirit will always testify of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you believe that, say amen, amen. So if you go anywhere where the Holy Spirit is elevated above Jesus, this list and biblically speaking, I do not believe that it's theologically sound because the Bible says that the Holy Spirit will always testify and lift high and point to Jesus. He says, he will only testify to me. But then he says, you also, right? You also must testify because you've been with me from the beginning. So this word is used five times. It's used four times in this section of scripture, but then it's used another time in 1 John, same author, and we're gonna see that later. But what I wanna give to you this morning is a little bit unique. I wanna give you a four point outline. My father would be so proud of me this morning. Not only am I gonna give you a four point outline, I'm gonna give you a four point alliterated outline. So now the joy of my dad is really flowing. Not only am I gonna give you that, I'm gonna give you a double alliterated outline. But let me share the truth here. It's not my outline. Can I just share that? How many of you ever heard of Dr. Adrian Rogers? Anybody ever heard of Dr. Adrian Rogers? When I was 24 years old, I had one of the most unique experiences of my life. I was in my second semester of seminary. And there was something called a Pastors Training Institute, PTI. And it was at Bellevue Baptist Church where Dr. Adrian Rogers was serving. If you've never heard of Dr. Adrian Rogers or heard of him, I encourage you to Google him and to listen to some of his messages in my opinion, one of the most powerful communicators of God's word. I got to sit in a setting with about 30 guys, young pastors, mostly young, but you know, across the board, different ages. And Dr. Adrian Rogers just sat on the stage with a microphone. And for two days, he was just teaching and teaching and teaching. And it would evolve into like, people would ask him questions about their life, their struggles in their marriage, their struggles in their, it was, it was a very, it was one of the most powerful conferences I'd ever been to. But it all came back to him, this man of God. And he would give us these outlines that were just brilliant. I mean, they were, they were the kind of things that on Tuesday you would remember, you know what I'm saying? 
And so he gave us this outline on the Holy Spirit. And I have permission from him. You say, how do you have permission? He died years ago. I have permission because 23 years ago, I personally asked Dr. Adrian Rogers, am I allowed to use your outline? And he said to me, here's my ammunition fired out of your gun. That's what he said to me. So this morning, I want to give you an outline that has stuck with me for 23 years. This outline has stuck with me because it speaks to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives because that's a mystery to me. Like when you talk about the Holy Spirit is working, well, what does that mean? We know we can't come to God apart from the Holy Spirit. We know he's the one that draws us. We're not the one that turns to him. He's the one that comes to us. And then he indwells us and lives within us. Like, so let's talk about what Jesus lays out for us here. Four things. Number one, the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. What is the purpose in the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives? Number one, to restore the presence of Jesus in us. So you're gonna see an R and a P in every one of these outlines. And by Tuesday, I'm gonna text you and you better be able to quote this outline. It says this. Look at John 14, go backwards with me if you would. We're gonna to go to some different places. What is the issue of the disciples here? The presence of God is being removed. That's the issue. They've had the presence of God with them right there. They didn't have to look for it. He's there. Now he's telling them he's leaving. So the whole reason the disciples are all up in arms is because the presence of God is getting ready to be absent from their lives. So what's the purpose of the Holy Spirit? What's the promise of Jesus to his friends, to his disciples, to all who would follow who believe? Look at John 14, 16. He says, and I will ask the Father and he will give you, notice this word another, it means another of the same kind. He will give you, and it speaks of the Trinity, another advocate, counselor, comforter, to help you. Don't miss those three words. Because let me tell you what happens, and this, I'm gonna get ahead of this sermon a little bit, but I'm gonna go ahead and just say it. So many times in our battles, in our journey, you know what, you know what the enemy does? He puts us into the equation. And when you put yourself into your occasion and you see what's in front of you, it's crippling. And so the enemy is constantly trying to allow us to gauge what's in front of us through our power, through our resources. And so the battle is always to decrease and allow the Lord to increase. The battle is always, Romans 12, 1 and 2, to be a living sacrifice. The battle is always in the morning to say, Lord, I yield to you today. And then this is the promise, to help you to be with you forever. Verse 17, the spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he lives with you and will be with you. And what a promise in verse 18, John 14, I will not leave you as helpless orphans. I will come to you. What is the issue of the disciples? He's leaving. And if he leaves, it's their power, their joy, their, their source of everything, their peace, he's there. You go back to the Old Testament. I've heard people say, well, how does it work in the Old Testament? Like, where do you find the spirit of God in the Old Testament? Because it's definitely different than Pentecost. It's definitely different than when the Holy Spirit comes and indwells people. It's interesting, right? As you go back in the Old Testament, you see that the Holy Spirit is active. It's all over. In creation, the Holy Spirit is there. But in the Old Testament, this is different. The Holy Spirit was a presence with men. He was with men. He came upon men. But now this promise of Jesus is that he would indwell people. He says, I will not leave you comfortless. I'm going to come to you. And I love that word another. In the original language, there's two different forms of that word, and it can be another of a different kind, or it can be another of the same kind. And I'm not a Greek scholar, but Greek scholars have narrowed this word down to say it means another of the same kind that speaks of the Trinity. 
that the presence of Jesus is leaving from the disciples, but the presence of Jesus is coming back to live within the disciples. If you understand that, say amen, amen. That's their issue. They're gonna be absent from the presence of God and the promise of Jesus is no, the presence of God is coming through the Holy Spirit. So number one, to restore the presence of Jesus in us. Think about the disciples. Think about us today. We're not walking beside Jesus. He's living within us, the spirit of Christ. Number two, you ready? To reveal the person of Jesus to us. Let me read this verse. Now, if you go back to John 14, again, 26, but the advocate who the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, knows what he says, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. So for three and a half years, there's Jesus. At night campfire, right? There's conversations with Jesus. Think about that. And so the promise is, hey, not only is, is the presence of my spirit gonna be upon you, but the same thing, the spirit that lives within you will teach you me, will remind you of what I've taught you, will bring to your remembrance the truth that I led you in. I want you to see the other place where this word is used. Go to 1 John, take a right, go to 1 John and look at 1 John 2, 1. He says this, my little children, these things I write to you so that you may not sin, but if anyone sins, notice what he says here. We have a paraclete, same word, an advocate. It's the only time this word is used outside of these passages. We have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. So really when you think about that, we have two advocates. Think about this for a second. Track with me. Jesus is our advocate to the Father, right? John 14, 6, Jesus says what? I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So we can't get to the Father except through Jesus. If you believe that, say amen, amen? He's our advocate. But now he says the Holy Spirit is the advocate to us from Jesus. That now the presence of the Holy Spirit living inside of me is to reveal Jesus. That as I live each day, right, the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to make me more like Jesus, to show me more Jesus, to walk away from a situation and go, that wasn't Jesus. Can I get an amen? To walk and live with him, but to teach me in Christ. I mean, what is the purpose of the Holy Spirit in my life? To reveal Jesus to me. That as I open God's word, there's understanding because of the Holy Spirit. There's enlightenment because of the Holy Spirit. Who does that? That's my teacher, my guide, the spirit of the living Christ. I want you to see this passage. Go to 1 Corinthians, if you would. And watch this. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. This is usually a funeral passage. And I think sometimes we mistakenly preach it in that setting. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 does not speak of in the future. It speaks of the present. Watch this. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. But as it was written, I has not seen nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. Hear this, but God has revealed them to us through where? His spirit. He's revealed it to us through his spirit. For the spirit searches all things. Yes, the deep things of God. For what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him. Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God that we might, say the word, know the things that have been freely given to us by God. The Holy Spirit is always Jesus. It's always Jesus. How do we know that what we have in front of us is the truth? Because it was the Holy Spirit in the lives of the disciples that allowed them to put this truth 
on paper. Let me give you the third one. We're working here. Here you go. To restore the presence of Jesus in us, to reveal the person of Jesus to us. That's really the process of sanctification, right? That we become more like Jesus. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. Number three, to recall the promises of Jesus for us. Watch this. Go to John 14, look at verse 26. It says, but when the helper, same word, paraclete, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, hear this, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all the things that I've said. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever been in a situation where just out of the blue, a verse of scripture popped into your heart and mind that applied to your situation? What is that? It's a reminding ministry of the Holy Spirit. Am I, do, do you agree with that? Like when you're in a situation and, and, and all of a sudden there's a verse that maybe you learned years ago or a truth or a promise or something that counters a lie. Have you ever been there, right? When you're facing something and the lies are coming, but the Lord is bringing to your mind and your remembrance promises and truth. Who is that? What is that? It's the reminding ministry of the Holy Spirit. And let's be real, it can be some of the craziest settings. I shared this in both services, I'll share it in the third. It's an uncomfortable thing when you're standing in a bar and the reminding ministry of the Holy Spirit kicks in. Can I get an amen? Oh, wow, y'all amen that. That's awesome. Nobody else did the last two services. Everybody got real uncomfortable at that point in time. <laughs> or you're in a situation where you know you ain't in the Lord. And the alarms are going off. And at that moment, that's free will, right? At that moment, that's your choice. But the Holy Spirit is stirring. The Holy Spirit is reminding. This goes back to, again, feeding upon God's word. He can't remind us of things that we've never put in. And so how critical it is, right? As you pour in truth, it may be something three years from now. As you're pouring in truth daily, feeding upon God's word, not just one day a week, right? If you ate one day a week by Wednesday, you're physically anemic. You have no energy, no strength. Think about it spiritually. But when we feed each day and feed each day, the Holy Spirit of God can take that truth and at just the right moment, bring it to the surface. And I've been there where it was something I studied years ago, but years later, I'm in a situation, the Holy Spirit takes a promise or a truth or a verse and he reminds me of it. These disciples were sideways. Lord, you're telling us that you have this great calling upon our lives, but you're leaving us. One of my favorite verses of scripture is Luke 12. Take your Bibles, go to Luke 12. I'm actually have you turn there. Luke 12, verse 11. Have you ever been in a situation where you know you've got to encounter someone or have a tough conversation with someone and you've rehearsed what you're going to say over and over in the shower? Can you get an amen? Okay, I'm the only one. My shower is my prayer closet. As long as Tristan don't take all the hot water. All right, let's keep going. Luke 12, 11, I'll tell you for a pastor. He says, now when they bring you to the synagogues and the magistrates and the authorities, what is he saying? When they persecute you, when they drag you in and excommunicate you from your community, look what he says. When they bring you to the synagogues and magistrates and authorities, do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say, verse 12. For the Holy Spirit will teach you in that here this very hour what you ought to say. Have you ever walked away from a situation and gone, well, that wasn't me because I would have said something completely different. Thank you, Jesus, that you just spoke through me in that moment. Have you ever been there before? 
It's a reminding ministry of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit saying, hey, I'm going to give you the words. Like you can practice and rehearse, but in the moment, what are you truly relying upon? Not what you've studied. What do I rely upon on Sunday mornings when I stand upon here? Not my prep work. I can promise you that. I do that, but my confidence is not in my prep. My confidence is in the fact that, Lord, you better show up because if you don't, I'm going to fall flat on my face. What would happen every morning if a child of God woke up and said, you know what, I'm not stepping on that battlefield until I call upon my advocate. Because I know the arrows are flying the moment I step outside. Lies are coming and the spirit of truth, even in the moment, will give me what I need to say. Fourth thing, and I'm going to close. Here we go. Restore the presence of Jesus. That was their issue, right? To reveal the person. That's to us. That's the process of sanctification. What does the Holy Spirit do in our lives? Try to make us more like Jesus, right? Number three, to recall the promises. That's the work of the Holy Spirit bringing to our attention. Number four, don't miss this, to release the power of Jesus through us. Think about this, right? Here are these disciples. He's leaving. They're like, you're leaving, and yet you're calling us to go change the world. You're calling us to take this message to the world. I'm sure they were so intimidated by that. We're broken vessels. Peter's getting ready to deny the leader of the disciples. God's going to deny him tomorrow. So it doesn't come back to us. Look at what he says. I love this. John 16, verse 7 and 8. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth that is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, the advocate, the comforter, the counselor will not come to you. But if I depart, I'll send him to you. And when he has come, what will he do? This is how we come to the Lord. He will convict of sin. He will lead us in righteousness, right? That's what the Holy Spirit does, convicts us of sin to a place where hopefully we make a profession of faith. As you make a profession of faith, now what is his purpose in our lives? To make us more like Christ? To recall the promises in our lives? But then to release the power, he says this. Verse nine, and of judgment, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I can't imagine, honestly. It's so easy to look at those disciples and be like, man, how could you not get it? Like you've been with him for three and a half years. He said all this stuff before. I don't know if you've ever been there where you felt the Lord was calling you to something it was way bigger than you. And this goes back to how I started this message. So many times the enemy loves to put us into the equation. And we look at what God has called us to, or we look at what God has led us to. We see the mountain in front of us and there's no way around it, right? What he's led us to, he will lead us through. But if you're anything like me, right, you fight, you white knuckle willpower. And then the Lord says, are you done trying to do it in your own strength? Because listen, if I've called you to that and you do it in your own strength, guess who gets the glory? But when you yield and you surrender and you say, Lord, this is way bigger than me, but this is nothing for you. So I surrender to you. I walk to you. I praise you. And then on the other side of it, you can't look at Heath. You can't look at Heath. You look at Jesus and you say, there's no human explanation. He did it. Glory to God. There's people in here that God's called you to stuff, man, and it's crippling when you look at it. The storm in your life is crippling because you're looking at it through you. And that is one of the enemy's greatest maneuvers. But the Lord says, no, the power that raised Christ from the dead is the power that lives in us. If you believe that, say amen. Acts 1, 8, and you shall receive power. So where we get dynamite. I've always been intrigued by that. And yet the enemy downplays that. 
The enemy every day wants us to think we're fighting for the battle. The battle has been won. Jesus won. The grave is still empty. Can I get an amen? I'm not fighting for victory. I've been called to walk in it. However, if I've been called to walk in it, there's oppression and there's persecution and there's spiritual warfare. But Jesus says, listen, it's not by your might. It's my strength in you. Here's some verses. You ready? Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power that works where? Within us. Let's connect some dots here. Second Peter 1.3, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life. Can you hear that this morning? His divine power, wherever you're at, whatever you're facing, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. 2 Timothy 1, 7, man, I could just keep going for God. Did not give us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, a spirit of love. Ephesians 1, 19, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? Ephesians 6, 10, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Romans 15, 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that the power of the Holy Spirit may abound in hope. And I'm gonna give you prayer, Paul's prayer real quick. Go to Ephesians 1. It's a very familiar passage. I want to read a couple of verses here. I honestly believe, man, that as followers of Christ, if we could ever grab a hold of, this would change everything. There's a lot of defeated Christians today. There's a lot of believers today who have been robbed of their joy and been robbed of their peace and are sitting crippled for what God has called them to. And here is Jesus saying, no, you are no match for that. It's not your power. It's my power in you. But it requires the hardest thing, giving up. I remember when I was doing lifeguard. I was a lifeguard at Ocean Breeze Water Park. You ever heard of that? That's not a good summer job. Don't encourage your teenagers to do that. And I remember in our training, they told us that if someone is flailing, you don't jump in until they stop. I've thought about that in our own lives. So many times I'm in a situation, right, and the enemy says, all right, look at it through your lens. Look at it through what you bring to the table. And I'm fighting, and I'm fighting, and I'm flailing. And the Lord is saying, just give up your rights. Just surrender, just yield. The power is there. The power is available, but it's not found within you. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 1. He prays, verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, our Father, glory may give you the spirit of wisdom. Hear this, in revelation in the knowledge of him, this is the Holy Spirit, that the eyes of our understanding may be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of your calling. What are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? Listen to verse 19. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power? This is what Paul's, Paul's praying. I pray you recognize the power in you. Paul is praying for his church. I pray you recognize the power in you. Stop allowing the enemy to rob you. The victory's been won. And he says, I pray that what is the exceeding greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working, again, of his mighty power. I'm asking you just to bow your heads right where you are. All this comes back to Jesus. I look at this passage of scripture and I mean, I can only imagine what was going through the mind and the hearts of those disciples. 
And I've shared this before, and this is probably one of the things that I've been most intrigued about through this study. That even in their places of weakness and lack of faith, he met them there. He didn't rebuke them in that moment. He loved them. And he was always there to comfort them. And I'm always so amazed by that because he's getting ready to die the most brutal death in the history of the world. Let's think about that. Every evil deed laid upon his shoulders. And in the hours leading up to it, he's loving his friends. In the hours leading up to it, he's comforting their hearts because they're hurting. They're not getting ready to go to the cross, he is. They're not checking on him. I pray you see Jesus. And I pray you see the promise of his presence through his Holy Spirit. That today, man, if you've professed Christ as your savior, you are not alone. Hear this, the spirit of the living God, you don't have to go looking. This is within you, I believe that. I can't explain it, but I believe it. I know it. And I wonder how many today walked in looking through the lens of themselves and the situation and the circumstances that are in front of them. How crippling that is. Or maybe you walked in and there's a calling, there's something that God has put on your heart and it's, it's big, but it's uncomfortable. And you're looking through the lens of what you bring to the table. Jesus says, I'm not gonna leave you alone. That spirit that led me is going to be my spirit that indwells you. My presence will be with you. He will lead you and teach you in the things of Christ. He will remind you of truths and promises when lies come your way. But it will be through his power. Jesus told them greater things. How is that possible? It was the spirit. And so I wonder, man, if you're here today, I've been out there, I know so many of us have. The first question always is that first step of faith, right? In Ephesians 2, 8, for by grace, that's the gospel that Jesus came and lived and died and rose again, for by grace, that's grace. We are saved through faith. So I wonder, man, maybe you're here and maybe you would say, I don't know, I don't know, I, I hope. The Bible says you can know. That it's not through yourself, it's through Christ. And the Bible says, for those who call upon his name shall be saved. And we recognize that it begins at a recognition of your sins. So man, if you're here this morning and you're at that place, I, I would just ask you right where you are, man, an audience of one, to just go to before the Lord and just acknowledge these things. Lord, I see my stuff. I see it for what it is. I know what I've done. And it can't be proven. And there's a lot of things I don't understand, but I put my faith, I believe that your son came and took on this form. Again, great mystery. Live that life that I couldn't live, meeting every requirement, every holy requirement, no sinful deed, no sinful thought. And then as a substitute died on the cross for my sins. For by grace, we are saved through faith. And so Lord, I put my faith 
in a person, not a religion, in a person in Jesus, that he died in my place and that he rose again. And I call upon his spirit to live and indwell within me. And my prayer this morning, if you've done that, is that the Holy Spirit of God, and he has such a unique way of doing this, will affirm his presence upon you. If you've done that, share that with someone. To believers in this place, man, maybe you walked in here crippled. Maybe you walked in here with fear and doubt. And you're looking at it all through your own lens. May we move out of the way and say, Lord, may I decrease. As your spirit increases, what you lead me to, you will lead me through. And on the other side, I will give you the praise. I invite you to stand right where you are. Lord, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for a savior who came, who lived, who died, and who rose again. And you tell us by faith we are saved. You tell us by faith you were pleased. So every one of us in this place are calling us to a place of faith. So Lord, we yield. And we ask you to do the work that only you can do to the glory of Jesus, we pray. And all of God's people said,